I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Driven with Andy J on talk radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey there, welcome to Driven here on Talk Radio. I'm Andy J. This is the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And we have three big names for you in the next hour. We have gadget legend and presenting ace, Mr. Jason Bradbury. Strictly come dancing legend, Anton Dubeck. And England rugby star, James Haskell. This is Driven here on Talk Radio. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. It's Driven here on Talk Radio. Now, my guest is a rugby legend, having represented England 77 times. Last year, he took part in I'm a Celebrity and also decided to take up cage fighting. He's an afternoon delighter. It's James Haskell. How are you doing, James? Very well, what an introduction. I mean, I don't ever get described as England legend, so I'll take that. Um, you sort of maybe sound a bit like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins, but one minute I'm a chimney sweep, next minute I'm a rose, rose painter. You know, I may or may not be working on the fairground on Thursdays. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, which of those would you take? Which would you, which would you be going to? Listen, mate, in this climate, I would take anything. To be honest with you, I am similar to that. I mean, apart from doing actual chimney swimming because I wouldn't fill up the chimney, I'm pretty much open to any of these things. <laughs> now, James, look, we've got so much to talk about, but I've got to tell you, uh, I've, I've been, I was given the book a couple of hours ago, so I'm, I'm sort of 40 or 50 pages in. I'm a flanker. Well, sorry, it's called Water Flanker. I was going to call myself I'm a flanker, but that's your job, not mine. <laughs> I, I mean, 40, 50 pages in, there's a lot of drinking going on. Often in any group of, of, of men or sports team, uh, you know, pranks, car crashes, hilarious sort of behaviour and everything else always happens when there's alcohol thrown in the mix. So I've obviously had to tell some of the funnier stories. I'm not sure I would sell many copies of the book if I said I sat around drinking green tea, you know, sharing, uh, you know, reading about, you know, reading Keats and reflecting on um, existential crisis. I'm not sure many fans would be interested in that. So I have boiled down some of the, the, the best bits. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I mean, listen, the, the first thing for me is I've also just in, in kind of as soon as I was told, hey, listen, James, you've got James Haskell on the show. I was like, brilliant. So obviously quite familiar with the good, the bad and the rugby. But I also realised you had another podcast with the missus, with Chloe, called Couples Quarantine. Yeah, so, yeah I do. Yeah, basically it's organised row. It's, well, the thing is, I thought to myself, in the absence of having the book Early Doors, I was like, well, I'll just, you know, let's, let's see what James is like as a lad, on, you know, when he's chatting to his missus. And I now feel almost too familiar with your private life. I love it. I mean, you're so open in this. The way you and Chloe chat is very revealing. You don't have any censor button, do you? It's brilliant. I just, look, I think, you know, as a society, we were obviously talking about breakdown boundaries of mental health and Things I think there's lots of pretense and lots of pretending we don't do things, think things, act in a certain way. You know, if it's certain backgrounds, religion dictates the way you're supposed to be, and it's very hard. So I think with with Cut Up there's no point doing a podcast unless it's going to be funny, open, and kind of raw. I mean, look, you know, we're we're truthful. 
some of the stuff is exaggerated. And also, I will say whatever it takes to get a cheap laugh. So, you know, you've got to bear, do bear that in mind. It's kind of grown legs. I didn't really think it, it, it would. I knew people would, would enjoy it. But we're sort of getting 30 to 40 emails per week from listeners genuinely finding it useful. Yeah, mate, genuinely finding it useful. Because, you know, all the things that we don't talk about, you know, the, sorry, the, all the things we talk about, couples don't talk about. They, they pretend. There's men walking around thinking stuff and not saying it. Women feeling the same way. You know, they don't understand how to do various things. There's all this kind of pretense and, and nervousness and, you know, people talk about having birds and the bees conversations, et cetera, but more often not, that doesn't happen. And we people sort of learn on the go, really. And it's sort of quite nice that, that we're able to help people and that giving people advice and they find it quite useful, I think. I just love how the two of you are, are able to chat to each other with... I mean, it's just such an entertaining... I just kind of think to myself, this is what they're like of an evening. They've just put microphones on. It's sort of a much cruder version of Richard and Judy, I think. It's sort of a, sort of a low-rent, low-budget, cruder Richard and Judy-esque sort of thing, I think. Which which seems entirely appropriate, given they're now the in-laws. In fact, you, you talk about that on the podcast, about when you... In fact, uh, if, I, if you don't mind me paraphrasing, Judy was on your celebrity list, which I love. Yeah. Good for you, mate. And, yeah. and, and Richard, of course, who's, who's done plenty of shifts on talk radio and is a broadcasting legend... First time you met him, he told you to f off. Fabulous. Yes, yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean that's just bonding. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, you know, Judy was on the list, but it was also a tongue in the cheek list, you know, <laughs> list as well. So you know, but sure, don't, don't, you know, don't get, don't get me wrong. She's a look at Judy, but you know, I just, I think again, I, you know, I was sort of playing up to a, to a few things just because, it, you know, if, it, if I can make my wife uncomfortable and get a few cheap laughs, it's sort of where I like to have it. <laughs> I'd say you absolutely nailed it, but it makes it a brilliant listen. And she's a hell of a sport, man. She plays along like a trooper. Yeah, she does. But, she, but you know, Chloe, you know, doesn't pull any punches herself. And she's got, you know, she's a super intelligent and, you know, an entrepreneur and businesswoman in her own right. And she doesn't mess around. And she's got some very staunch views about things. And she hates it when I say, oh, you know, men versus women, because it's not, it's not like that. But we just... We do come from two very different ends of the spectrum. You know, Chloe's kind of much more liberal approach to feminism and, and, and everything else that goes with that. I'm, you know, I was in, institutionalised in the age of sort of eight to eighteen with just men. Mm. You know, boarding school and everything else and stuff, and, and then into a professional sports team. So I wouldn't say that I've got the bright, the broadest horizons in certain aspects. So again, every day is a learning day for for me, and I think that sort of comes across on the on the podcast. You know, and it also comes across in the book. You know, my, my what Franco is sort of. All the stories and things and characters and fun that I had on my 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 journey, you know, and I didn't I didn't think I necessarily qualified for an autobiography when you know like Sir Alex Ferguson and all these other kind of people have got these brilliant books um, t- telling you about tactical masterclasses and you know the little nuances of getting the best out of players and throwing training you know boots at David Beckham's head etc. But actually, you know, I've done something re- relatively unique in, in rugby, having played around the world and still still maintained a character, still you know got into scrapes, good and bad, and also being able to, to maintain an English career. And I've always divided opinion. And I think the book the book was meant to to sh- show those sides. And for people who didn't like me, I wanted them to read it. For people who did like me, I wanted them to read it. And hopefully come to some conclusions that it's been one hell of a ride. And also I've got to say my, you know, my truth, which is sort of this weird woke generation sort of sentence. But it was kind of quite nice because most of the time you have to toe the party line, not say stuff, you know, for the good of the team. For your own, you know, politics. You don't don't talk, don't talk down about the RFU if you want to keep playing for England, because the male ego is a real thing. And if you upset people, they're not going to not going to select you. So now it's my opportunity to to say things without sounding like Alan Partridge in his autobiography, bouncing back where he, he finishes every chapter. Needless to say, the last lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. But I must say, you know, from listening to the pod and reading the book, there's a 
there's a softness to you that I wasn't anticipating. Like, for example, I'll explain that because that's a weird thing to say to a 19 stone man, you know, who's... who's, who's but, I would never, I, but honestly, I, I, I think it's important. You know, like I, I want to be very open about mental health and, and honest about how I feel because the perception is, exactly as you said, I'm a 19 stone meathead, you know, that probably doesn't have that emotional depth, probably as deep as a saucer. I wanted to show that. And I tried to do that as well on the podcast and everything else, just because, and this is a little aside, I don't want to mean to go off, but it's, it's quite funny, it's a sort of generation we, when we have kids, you know, if, if your little, little boy falls, or a little girl falls over, you sort of say to her, oh, come on, it's okay, you let them cry, it's fine. When a boy falls over, you're like, come on, don't cry, get up, men don't cry. And now we are in a situation where we have all these problems around men and mental health and suicide and everything else. So I think it was important in the book to show that I I am sensitive. I do get upset. I do you know I do have good days. Do have bad days. And I wanted to be honest. There's no point painting this picture of me as, as perfect because I'm probably the least perfect person going. No, I, I I really genuinely I've I've been thoroughly enjoying everything you've been putting out. And I and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I wasn't sure beforehand. I you know because I've obviously seen you play. I've seen some of the things you've said off the off the field and whatnot. And I and I kind of thought to myself, I don't know. I don't know what I'll make of James. You know, but. But I've started to really think, what a, what a top guy. You know, you, you, you're coming across very, very well because of the openness and like even a simple thing. You know, we talked about the drinking stuff at the very start, which was just a kind of flippant thing because, the you know, the, the first couple of chapters are about initiations and whatnot. And yeah. actually, you're very open about the fact that you're not a big drinker and you were a bit nervous about the idea of having a kind of power through 10 pints of a night with with kind of giants who are yeah. much, much older than you and very experienced. And that's, you know, that, that in itself I wasn't expecting to read. But, you, but you're not um, you're not alone. You know that's the narrative of the book. Look, every the narrative of my of my life in professional sport. Whenever when anyone's ever done like a you know two page spread in the, in the you know the the tabloids or the the, you know, the broadsheets, it's the same thing. You know James Hassel comes across a bit of a plonker. You know is he arrogant? People do like him. People don't like him. Is this you know is this kind of the what's he actually like? And obviously the one thing I always say to people, you know, we have everyone on the good, the bad, the rugby, and everyone comes on and says, before I met James Hassel, I wanted to punch him, I thought I was going to have to punch him, I thought he was terrible, you know, you've had to like Rory Best, when I got called up to Lions, saw rolling his eyes, saying, oh God, you know, we're not going to have, you know, he's not going to be called up to the team. And then all, all of them unanimously come in and said, actually, really like me, found me to be hardworking and everything else. And, and the one that I always cared about is whether my teammates and coaches approved of me. I wasn't so, I wasn't bothered about the media, I wasn't bothered about the public, because, you know, you go into a room and ask people for a Opinion, 50 different people on opinion, you get 50 different opinions. Yeah. You're never going to please everybody. And what was sort of really important for me, very much like in the jungle, was that I was able to go and work with Michael Checker, you know, Warren Gatlin, Sean Edwards, Di Young, uh, uh, you know, Sir Ian McGeek and uh, Eddie Jones, all these sort of top coaches, get on well with them, Martin Johnson, get on well with them, you know, and be respected by them and my teammates, even if the public thought I was a complete and utter um, lunatic. And that's kind of what I... It's kind of been like that. I don't. It's not. It's not about going to prove people wrong. Cause I'm not really bothered about trying to build things for men. What mattered is their kind of approval to me. And I think it was the same in the jungle. You know, I had two brilliant weeks or whatever it was, and then I was public enemy number one because I had an opinion, and and you know, and I was doing what was good enough, all good for the good of the, the, the group as opposed to myself, self interest. And I, and I came out. My wife said to me, "You've been labelled as a bully. You've been labelled as disliking, opinionated. People don't like you." Da da da. And then. When I left, all my campmates, a number of them cried, a number of them had really kind of positive reactions. People said he ripped the heart out. Ant and Dex said, you know, we've never seen a camp like that after someone's left. Mm. That's what matters to me. That's what that's what got, the, you know, a real emotional buzz to me. That was my proof that, that I was a good person doing good things. That's all I sort of mattered. And I'm glad that I changed people's opinions. But 
you know, if you look to me from the outside, I probably wouldn't like him. I'd be like, he's loud, he's brash, he's obviously full of himself, he's got his shirt off 99% of the time, you know, he says stupid things, he obviously plays up to things, but I have a hell of a time doing it and I don't really regret it. No, absolutely, and that, and that comes across, and I, and I think, you know, you're, like you said earlier, you're living your truth, which is a, a woke sentence, but it's also a real sentence, you know, it's, it's, it's where we're at these days, you know, being honest and being real is the only commodity we have nowadays, you know, otherwise what's the point? How is it that you kind of, because I completely appreciate what you're saying with the jungle and everything else, what was important to you was how the people that you had actually been in the space, in the same space as felt, you know, that was important and that I completely connect with that. But has things changed for you with regards to what you, what you want the public to think of you now that you're, now that you're not playing anymore, now that you're kind of taking this very sort of open philosophy, now that the book's out, the podcasts, and of course, obviously, the cage fighting, which I'd like to talk about. You know, does it matter to you now what the people of Twitter and Instagram and whatnot think of you, or do you still just not care? No, well, no, look, I think, let, let's be completely honest. Anybody who says they don't care about people's opinions and hurtful words is lying. Everybody cares. Doesn't matter if you've got the most invincible, I mean, potentially if you've got a sociopath or psychopath, complete has no emotional spectrum they may they may not care but if you see hurtful things about you it still can catch you you know even one comment you know we're, we're programmed as humans if there's you know 100 positive comments you see one negative all you think about is a negative especially someone like myself who the contrary to my outward experience uh, outward sort of demeanor i've real self-confidence issues especially around rugby and confidence in myself backing myself being very hard on myself and i think i had the career i had because i was so hard on myself and i didn't celebrate the the, the, the good bits. I just spent my whole time trying to improve, trying to improve, and here's my like regrets because you know you're on that journey of improving, and suddenly you're 35 and retired, and you're like, well, there's no more time to improve, and I've missed out on you know going out, celebrating, doing the little bits and pieces. I think fundamentally, I just want to be my myself, and I think now we've lost the art conversation. I think it's quite nice to talk radio, to be able to have opinions and be able to marshal that, and people be able to share. It. We've lost the art of being able to be individuals. Every big brand is terrified about saying things. I kind of came to the conclusion once I retired that. Days of trying to work, you know, working for CBBS is never going to happen. I'm not sure you can be like me and work, you know, work in that area. So I could do Jack and Orrick, do Crack and Orrick, do all that kind of stuff. I just think, you know, you can't have someone like me with my personality working on Blue Pizza. It's not, you know, that ship sailed. And I think, you know, the same thing with like Anton Deck. You know, I, you know, I love presenting. I want to do much more on radio. My dream is to have a radio show and, and do other things around that. But I'm never going to be that, that, that person because I just don't, I've got, I've got too many, you know, there's, there's too many things that have happened. I've said too many things and done too many things and everything else. So I kind of just got to stick with where I'm at, which is I believe I have a certain level of common sense. I, I put my hand up and say that I'm always learning. But I, I think it's important to have an opinion and you're going to get criticised. And I've got an idea for you, James, because you sort of said to me earlier mm. on, you know, one of your dreams is to be a radio show host, to have your own radio show. So here's a proposal for you. See what you think of this. Why don't you team up with your father-in-law? I'd love that. I imagine that. I just, I don't know if he, I don't know if he'd go for it, but it's a great idea. I'd love to present on a, on talk radio, Richard, Richard Maiden, James, that's all together. Yeah, the yeah. only problem is, it would be a bit like, you know, Tom Cruise kind of allowing, you know, someone from a local village hall theatrical group to come and be part of something with him. And I'm a little bit concerned that A, Richard probably doesn't need the cash. B, does he want to be associated with me? But, um, and would it ruin I don't know it? But honestly, any opportunity to work with, with a broadcaster legend like him, I would 100% do it. Um, that would be an amazing listen. That would be an amazing listen. The two of you together chatting about whatever's going on that day, I think would be oh, brilliant. That's a dream. That is a dream right there. Let's make, let's make this happen. I, you know, but I just, I just think Richard will think I'm a complete plum. But we'll see. We'll, you know, let's see what happens. Give it a try. Listen, what's the harm in a quick chat over a pint, you know? Listen, I agree. I agree. Would you call him dad on air? I mean, would that work? 
<laughs> listen, what in an awkward kind of American way? Like you can call me dad. Yeah, listen, if it, if if I could make it super awkward and weird and get a laugh, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, like dad, what do you think, dad? You think, dad? I love you. I just keep saying I love you. On, I love you, love you, dad. And just see how upset it gets. That would be amazing. You got. To, I mean, we got to make this happen. Sure. Look, I, I know some people at Talk Radio. You know Richard. Why don't, I mean, look, we could at least get you an hour somewhere, couldn't we? And then see. Yeah. Look, I think, uh, well, look, people listen to this conversation when it comes out. You know, let's tweet in or write in. Let's see if we can make this happen. You put some pressure on to Talk Radio. I think basically is approach him first with the idea, yeah. as if it hasn't come from me, and then I'll follow up. And I did see that actually, but that would be quite good. <laughs> Well, let's see what happens, shall we? You may be hearing Richard Maidley and James Haskell after Driven each week on Talk Radio. And you can get James's What a Flanker out in all bookshops right now. So after the break, my next guest is Strictly Come Dancing's Anton Dubeck. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. It's Driven here on Talk Radio, the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And I'm so thrilled about my next guest, an all-round entertainer and Strictly star. He is back now with his third novel set in the Buckingham Hotel. I am elated to welcome the resplendent Anton Dubeck. How are you doing, Anton? I'm very well. That is the loveliest, nicest introduction I've ever had anywhere, ever. Really? That- was, could I record that, please, and just use it everywhere I go? Oh. That was lovely. <laughs> well, the Thank lovely, you very much. The helpful thing, Anton, is it's all true. I often think about how I'm going to introduce people, <laughs> and I kind of think to myself, and when I knew I was able to talk to you, I was like, right, now obviously the public know you for Strictly, but they also know you for singing and for dancing uh-huh. and for presenting yeah. and for yeah. all your writing. So I could just basically do an interview that is just me introducing you, and then you say hello, <laughs> and then, then the time's up. I say, thank you very much. It's lovely to come onto your show. <laughs> Bye now. Where's lovely to list all that? That's tremendous. I have been busy, I suppose. You have. You've been incredibly busy, and and the lovely thing is that you have been in the public's awareness now for such a long time. And I guess yeah. that in itself must be a, a combination of of delightful and exhausting. Well, delightful, really. I love it. I get exhausted when I don't do anything. I get. I get sort of bored and frustrated and uh, probably not fabulous to live with, if you ask my wife. But um, I love doing stuff, and it is nice to be able to just look at... I know not, I'm not one for looking back, really, but there are moments, and then you suddenly go, wow, that was eight or nine years ago. I feel really sort of privileged to be able to do that in itself, just go, wow. The thing that thrills me more than anything else is the fact that I still love it as yeah. much potentially more now than I did even at the beginning. I'm just having the, the you know, the best time really doing all the things I love I love to do. And I don't think you can get anything better than that really. No, that I mean that is an individual's dream, isn't it? When you're doing the things yeah. you love. You've nailed it. You're, you're what's the phrase? Winning at life. Winning at life, well, yeah. I don't think any of us been that right now in the current climate, but um we're giving it a good go. That's that's I think the best we can say at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, look, I'm very keen to talk about the new book, and I'm, and I'm going to come mm. into it in a sec because I have a copy yeah, here. I've started reading it. I'm really enjoying it. But I have Thank to ask you. you first, before we jump in, I hope you don't mind, but there's a Not at all. there's been a rumour going round, and I, I just want to get your reaction to it because I think this is yeah. a really lovely rumour. And it's a rumour started, you may have seen it yourself, it's a rumour started by Richard Osman, 
Uh, Are you aware of him? He's the the, the creator behind the TV show Pointless, a big celebrity in his own right. Yes, no, I know Richard. He's very well. I've been on a few of his shows. He's absolutely lovely, lovely, lovely. Genius of a man. Genius of a man. Well, he sent out a tweet, which is effectively a campaign now that you're not able to dance on Strictly this yeah. year because of, you know, going out. Yeah. <laughs> you will have seen this, I'm sure. He has started a campaign, effectively, for you to be a judge. Do you know, I saw that and I did smile to myself. You know, and if Richard Osman says so, then yeah. it, 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 it should be so because he is, you know, all things sort of making and in front of Tellyland. Yes. He's, he's wonderful, Mr. Telly. And, um, but they, they haven't, unfortunately... They've not had the conversation with me about it, which is the only stumbling block to this fabulous idea, <laughs> I think. Well, I tell you what, I mean, that tweet in itself, it's got yeah. quite the reach immediately. I think within seconds of it going up, the wonderful Gabby Logan immediately endorsed it as well. And she said, well, well that has to happen. She, she knows her stuff as well. I mean, you know, they can't all be wrong. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it something you do, Anton? Because obviously, I know you yeah, obviously still love dancing, don't you? So you, yeah. You know, I, of... No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't hang up the shoes at all because I love. Uh, I love being out in front and performing. And I mean, we, I, had, I had a lovely time with Jackie. We didn't, you know, we didn't go uh, for very long, but we had a couple of weeks there. And I thought that the two numbers that we put together were just joyous mm. from my perspective. I loved it, and she was wonderful to be with, and I loved putting the numbers together with her and then going out and performing with her because there's no, no bigger thrill. Uh, and I know it's tricky at the moment with no audience in, but with all the couples on the side of the floor there sat in their little bubbles on the round tables, it is so supportive. Everybody's sort of there cheering you on, and it's a lovely, lovely, lovely atmosphere. Yeah. And so I'm going to really miss that and, and, and miss dancing with, with Jackie because, as I say, she was, she was a lot of fun. You know, I do have a bit of time on my hands now, so, I mean, I don't know of a better way to fill it, quite frankly. I think it would be lovely. If that opportunity came up, wouldn't it be nice? Too right, and the audience <laughs> would love it. Do you know there's a lot to be said? I'm not suggesting it, it needs a format change, because let's be fair, it's a, it's a heck of a show. It's, it's, do, it's doing <laughs> it's pretty doing, well. It's doing all right. But I suppose there could be a, a little clause that if one of the most loved dancers is out early, namely yourself and, and two or three of the others that have been there for, from the start... There, there could be a you know a position for them in the judging panel. Kind of makes sense to me. Well, I mean, you're just throwing it out there. I mean, this year they've got the sort of they've got the three judges, and then they've got a, a, you know Bruno making a sort of appearance from LA. How showbiz is he? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I suppose if they wanted to do something like that, they just could. But um, I think it's working rather well. Well, Anton, uh, maybe uh, maybe you is. should be on standby, Anton, just in case his Zoom connection. Oh, I'm I'm oh, I'm person ready, forever person <laughs> ready. I have I'm starched to an inch of my life, ready for the for the nod. <laughs> As is a dancer's life. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. Well, look, Anton, I have been having a lovely week because I, in my hands right now, I have A Christmas to Remember, which is yeah. your third novel. And mm. I must say, uh, you know, what a feel-good, lovely, just the distraction we need right now read. Well, that's very kind of you. I'm, uh, that's exactly the sort of feel I wanted from the novels, really. Uh, I've been delighted. I've read all of them, but I suppose because this is the most recent, I feel really excited about this one, uh, as potentially more so because, uh, I, you know, it was the, the writing of it was a bit more intense because we had a bit of time on our hands earlier in the year, so it, it sort of went 
right the way through. And I just feel about what well, I've always the feeling I've always wanted with the with the novels and with the stories is that you sort of step into them rather than read them. You you it's literally opening the pages and stepping into the novel. It's as though the doorman there is opening the the door was to the Buckingham Hotel as you walk up a few steps. And it was afternoon, sir, and, and opens the doors and you walk into the foyer there of the hotel. And it's all bustling and going on. And to your left as you walk in there, you see the grand ballroom and the sounds of the Archie Adams orchestra playing. And that's exactly the sort of feeling I've wanted from the novels. And just to be able to sort of step into it and then be swept along by the whole thing and and that's exactly what happens i mean i've been writing Thank you. kind of little as a, as i've been reading it i've been kind of jotting down little notes and and yeah. actually i've just been putting single words down sometimes you know things like love and loss laughter and tears elegant tense flamboyant delightful festive glamorous you know these are all things that we're not feeling in the real world right now so it's it's lovely to just well i mean loss we are but other than that it's lovely <laughs> to just kind of fall into it and and i wasn't sure because of course your first two novels one enchanted evening and moonlight over yeah. They were huge, yeah. huge successes. But I'll be honest Thank with you. you, I hadn't read them. So I was thinking, well, hang on, <laughs> I'm going to be reading A Christmas to Remember, which is effectively part three. Yeah. We're picking up from the character's of the journey. Story. Continuation yeah. of the story, exactly. And so I thought, am I going to am I going to struggle? I've not seen the first two films, as it were. But yeah. I'm not at all, because th- there's plenty of, of detail at the very start. You quickly get to know who everyone is. And I that love that. Important. Yeah, that was important for me, because they, they were... Or they are um, standalone uh, novels that that is part of a continuing sort of story. But as you say, if you haven't read the first two, then I didn't want the third one to be a struggle to sort of pick up uh, any of the characters. And and I'm delighted that you you found it easy and you you were sort of straight into it because that's exactly what I was after. Yes. Uh, or have been after with all these novels. But again, with the second one as well, it's it, it, the same as this one, it's a standalone, and, uh, but it is a continuation of the story. Because I, I love the story because it just uh, the whole upstairs downstairs feel of it. I I love on a grand scale and on a sort of minor scale as well. So the grand scale of a hotel, the shenanigans that go above stairs and below stairs, and all the sort of traditional things there, but also the sort of personal upstairs and downstairs. The the, the sort of Raymond Zegita's sort of story, and you 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 see him out up in uh, demonstrating and dancing and out front, and then there's his own personal sort of downstairs, his his personal story that we don't you don't see unless you get to know him uh, more closely, and that that I love about everything really, and I, I'm a I'm a, a, a people watcher, I mean a, sort of an avid people watcher, always have been really, uh, and I sort of wonder what their stories you see somebody walking down the street or uh, and and they're sort of going along and and you sort of sometimes go oh i wonder what their backstory is and all that sort of stuff and i'm a, i'm fascinated by people actually i think is, is what it comes down to i think that's lovely and, and well but also you you clearly have done a lot of research because you know it's it's set in a time that we can all imagine but you can't just write about it without having investigated it properly Presumably, you, you put you put a shift in learning as much as you could about the period. Well, yes, but also it's something I've been familiar with all my life. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, even from my schooling days, I was very keen on history, and um, and I've always been a sort of a history buff. 
And I've been fascinated by the first half of the last century just because so much went on. I mean, we had two world wars. We had four monarchs. We started, to, to say we started the beginning of the last century with Queen Victoria sounds like an odd thing to say. Yeah. But we did. She was on the throne uh, uh, at the beginning of the last century. And then by the time we got to the beginning of the 50s, uh, Queen Elizabeth II was um, coronated. So we've had, we had four monarchs. I mean, that in itself is fascinating. The two world wars and everything that went on. But such a huge change socially between the, war, the wars. I mean, gentlemen used to dress for dinner. Uh, and ladies would never would leave the house without a hat until the 50s. I mean, even in the 50s, ladies would never leave the house without a hat. I mean, it's all of those things I find fascinating and wonderful. And, you know, I'm a massive fan of things like Poirot and stuff. And I love that era and, and the, the way things developed, even the old cars, for example. And, and I mean, we look, at, look back at it now and it's slightly more romantic than I'm sure it was at the time. But... Um, it is, a, it is a fascinating and wonderful time, I think. Yes, it is. To, it, certainly to look back on, anyway. Well, it's, and, and I must say, you know, huge credit to you as an author because you have a real way with words. You know, you're, you're not just a Thank great you. storyteller, but you're, 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 your use of language is, is really very, very impressive. And, and, you know, you don't just need me to say that. The facts speak for themselves. The book's been out a handful of days and it's already in the, what, top, top 20 list, bestseller list already? Yeah, it's, 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 it, it, it started off, very well. We were delighted with the way it's gone first after the first three days. Um, but I think that's sort of um, a reflection on what's gone before. Really, I think people have uh, have enjoyed the stories, and that's always been my thing. I just it started off by me walking into uh, Bonnier Zafra, the uh, my wonderful publisher, and saying, "I'd like to tell you a story, please." And they go, "Go on then." And I just rattled off a story and they went, we like this, let's do it. And they've been absolutely wonderful and supportive and, you know, and, uh, and the language is, is uh, because of them as well and uh, a really enjoyable process. But they, I, just, I just love to tell a story. Well, I think it's delightful, and and it has genuinely made me want to remedy my error and and go and read the first two. So, you know, <laughs> well, you must, you I, must. I plan to, I plan to. Thank you. No, huge credit to you. It's it's terrific. Thank you. Now, Anton, I I often do things when I'm when I know that I've got a big star on the show. I oh. I often like to text a small circle of friends and do the old Google thing because I always find it fun when you put someone's name in to see what Google super fills in. You know, <laughs> and I must say. Oh, Evan. My reactions from both the internet and indeed my friends always throw up some random things that make me chuckle, and I like to bring them up. Now, one of yeah. them, I'm going to ask you if you remember what is uh, so special about 2011 for you. Oh, yes. <laughs> a vintage year. A vintage year. Rear of the year. Crown. Rear of the year. Or as Len Goodman liked to call me at the time, Arse of the decade. And <laughs> I thought it was but there you are. I've known him a long time. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, think, I think that's brilliant. Honestly, the excitement, you know, from, from factions of my friends that I'm talking to you is, is so high. And one, do you know, one of the misconceptions that comes up about you, Anton, is about your, where you finished in Strictly. People always go, oh, well, he never gets a chance to get through to the later rounds. And it's very easy to just remind them of last year where you came. Last se year, se second, I mean, you know, 
so roll tide first, I like to well. call it. Uh, <laughs> it Kel- was, uh... Kelvin might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> what about that story in itself? I mean, that's hilarious. Oh, Kelvin winning the show after coming in as first reserve. Well, you know, I mean, that. My favourite thing so about funny. Kelvin's a friend of mine, and yeah. and so I know him from racing because I I host the championship oh, yeah. that he races right. in. Yeah, and so we've known each other forever. And he said to me, you know, I I might have just had the most crazy phone call, and and I was like, okay, go on. I'm going to be in Strictly Come Dancing. And bearing in mind, this guy has ne- had never danced before, but no. he, but he's in crazy shape. Obviously, you know, he's yeah. unbelievably Ridiculous. athletic. And I said to him, you know, what's the what's the agenda here? You know, because some people go on Strictly because they need or want a profile boost. You know, mm-hmm. Some people yeah, go on because yeah. it sounds like a lot of fun. Some people go on yeah. just because it's such a great show, you've got to give it a try. Absolutely. And quick as a flash, Kelvin said, I want to win it. And I was oh, did like, he now? goodness me. I was like, come on, mate. You, you, you know, just don't go out the first couple of rounds. You know, you, you <laughs> hang in there for two or three rounds and, you know, the, the world will, will, will think you're brilliant and you'll have done a great job. And he was like, no, I, I, I want to do better than that. I, I, I fancy this. He goes, I fancy this. Yeah, yeah, literally. He was. I mean, there I was, was something so, in him. I was so I was delighted for him because it's just a brilliant story. But also, I, I was so so grumpy because if he wasn't there, uh, Emma might have might well have picked it up. Well, yeah, yeah. So I blame him entirely. <laughs> entirely his fault. Him and his snake hip. <laughs> yes, yeah, so his muscular <laughs> shoulders. He should should always wear clothing that says snake hips on it from now on. I think think it's essential. Um, Or half a size too small. Either way, it's the same thing. (laughs) Well, well, too right. Absolutely. Now, Anton, obviously, you know, lockdown 2.0 is landing. We are here. We're Mm. in it again. Now, I'm Mm -hmm. aware that one of the things that that you have done historically is you've helped people get fit with online dance classes and fitness via YouTube, etc. Is this going to be kind of Joe Wicks-esque? Are you going to be starting this up again? Well, you know, I I, I will do, in actual fact, because it's something I've sort of wanted to do for a long time, really. I've always been keen on it's because it's been part of what I've I've been doing for a living, well, 100 years. And, And being in shape is part of it. And and you build up a lot of knowledge, and if you you know over the years, uh, you work with decent people and good people, and you you build up a lot of knowledge about this this, this sort of stuff, and you build up a, a massive interest, which I have. And uh, so during the first uh, lockdown, I started this. Um, I started, as you say, on, online on on the YouTube channel, um, this Fit at Fifty class, and it was wonderful. And it, 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 you know, it was a, a wonderful sort of community of us doing the class. And it was just brilliant. And we were all in it together and we were all cheering each other on and we are all encouraging each other to, you know, everyone setting their own goals and things like that. And we were doing it together. It was lovely. And it's something I really would like to start up again and do it, I don't know, find a way of sort of making it, getting it out there to people, not just only on the YouTube channel, but on sort of normal sort of uh, outlets. Mm. And, um, you know, you see a lot of things for fitness for on the YouTube, one thing or another. And it, it's all pretty hardcore and quite – and people, these are things that people say to me, oh, it's all too difficult, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I do this, as I say, this uh, class called Fit at 50, and it's geared for that. Being of a similar age oneself, uh, I understand how it is. So uh, – and it's, it's something I'm going to do more of and encourage people to get more involved in that as well. I think it's going to be my thing for next year. And I'm looking forward to it because I, I, I really love doing it. Anton's book, A Christmas to Remember, is out to buy in all bookshops right now.
My final guest this week after the break is presenter and tech guru, Jason Bradbury. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. It's Driven here on Talk Radio. I'm Andy J. Now, my final guest for the week is presenter and tech legend Jason Bradbury. And I started by asking him simply, how does he approach life? It doesn't matter what you know sector you kind of choose to, to work in. It, it's, it's difficult when you go down a slightly different route to other people. I mean, I don't really have a choice because I'm, you know, I went to a comprehensive school where my, where my brothers went to the grammar school. I was growing up in you know, Lincolnshire. I mean, I grew up really, um, I often say this to people, in uh, the equivalent of the Stranger Things town, right? <laughs> because it's a little town called Woodall Spa in Lincolnshire where the Dambusters used to have their offices mess. No. How cool is that? Wow. And it was a big Edwardian uh, uh, sort of luxury town project when they discovered spa water. And so the houses are big and the roads are wide for the carriages and the first generation of cars that would have been bought by the, um, I'm guessing, their ancestors. Um, and it still to this day remains a really unusual oasis in the middle of Lincolnshire where lots of people go for holidays. Um, but effectively in the 80s, one ran on a BMX with crazy hair, wearing, <laughs> you know, fluorescent clothing with a big military base yeah. next to us, which is RAF Coningsby, which you might know is where the all the fighter jets uh, were based then and still are today. So mate, today it's tornadoes and whatever the new aircraft is. Back then it was the Phantom. And uh, yeah, so coming from Lincolnshire, wanting to work in, in, in te- well, what was then television for me, has now become the kind of wider world of media. Yes. It's quite a big ask. And, and uh, I, I often, because I've moved back to Lincolnshire now, as, as you know, and I live in the city of Lincoln. And, um, People, I've met people like in the supermarket and went, Jace! And I, yeah. I, I sort of look and it's the 45, 50-year-old version of someone that I went to school with. Ah. And, uh, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you always used to say you were going to go on the telly. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was a difficult ask. So, so why wouldn't I go against the grain? Because it was against the grain from the very beginning. And, and as you can see, I don't have your fine locks or your oh, superstar man. looks. I, you know, I was dealt whatever it was. And, and so I had to find a way of making myself relevant to an audience that wasn't conventional. Do you know, and that's, that's something that I find really interesting about your journey because, you know, from the beginning, and, you know, we've discussed this before, but, but you know, be new to the audience listening and watching now, from the beginning, the pull was always television. It was always, yeah. I want to be on telly. And you weren't, initially, you didn't know what that meant even. It was just, I, for some reason, you felt drawn to the goggle box. Yeah. I've got to be on that thing. Yeah. In some capacity, that's my calling, which is really interesting to have that. It wasn't fame you sought. It was a desire to no, be on telly. Yeah, it's about conversation, isn't it? You talked about the charisma bomb. Yeah. Like if, you're, if you've got that in you, and clearly you have, and the, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an itch. You've got to scratch it, right? And I started off, would you believe, dancing was my thing. Uh, and street dancing was very new then. Yeah. It would be normal now for a young, young lad. Do street dance back then and in Lincolnshire. It was <laughs> frowned upon. And uh, I remember walking down the street uh, in Tattershall, which is near where I lived, uh, on a Friday night going to the, uh, the the town hall disco, which was the equivalent of a nightclub. For, yeah. you know, and uh, feeling really good in my kind of Nike high tops and my hair was up like that. And then just feeling an egg explode oh, uh, no. as, as someone in the pickup truck chucked it out. Yeah. 
it was really it was difficult being a breakdancing new romantic in the eighties <laughs> in Lincolnshire, and and for me uh, dancing was really important because it gave me that kind of like discipline of of, of working with a director it would have been a choreographer obviously, but what would be the, in, in, later on in my career a director doing rehearsals, working in a team, performing in front of people. So that was. Um, that was my start. That, and believe it or not, stand-up comedy, which I started doing even when I was at school yeah. with a good friend of mine. And then uh, I, I progressed that uh, late, later on, but I'm, I'm guessing you, you might go there. But um, So yeah, so I started doing all I could to get out in front of people and perform. Uh, and I was coming, obviously drawing the experience together that would mean that when I went to an audition later in life for well, numerous TV shows, because I've, I've probably done, I mean, literally a hundred series, let alone episodes, yeah. on just about every t TV channel going. I, if I've been on 30 TV channels with actual series, I wouldn't be surprised. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, let's go down the comedy route because you brought it up now. Yeah. Once described by David Walliams as the funniest man he's ever met. Yeah, that was a hell of a compliment, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, let me put it in context though. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, David Wayans of Little Britain fame and, and you know, 30 plus million books sold uh, from his incredible children's books. And um, so, I, was, I studied drama or theatre, film, and television at the University of Bristol. That was my escape. Right. Uh, I, so, I, I, I went to college um, um, and, and from Lincolnshire jumped to Bristol University, went there for three years, and that was, that was a game changer for me. That was where I finally got not just the skills, but the kind of sanctioning, right. you know, the rubber stamp. It's okay. It's all right to want to get out there and perform. It's possible You're with your people. With my people, yeah. And what a what a what a bunch of people it was. Simon Pegg, uh, David Walliams, a girl called Katie Carmichael, who uh, some people might know from uh, Coronation Street and lots of other stuff. Right. Um, a, a chap that used to live in our house who went on to become Sophia Coppola's producer. Oh. Yeah, uh, a girl called Sarah Kane, very sadly, she, she actually killed herself, but she, oh, she was a profoundly talented writer, even when we were studying for our degree. Um, and she's now, I believe, on the A-level drama syllabus. Um, she's, a, she's like the Stephen Burkoff, what Stephen Burkoff was to me when I was younger, this, this sort of really angry, um, uh, fiercely talented writer, director and actor, of course he was in Beverly Hills Cop, which is what most people know him for, but he was, right. it's his theatre that is really special. She's really the equivalent to young drama students now. She was in my class. And wow. and, and uh, Dom Dominic Diamond, who some people might remember, did a show called uh, yeah. Games, Games Master, Master yeah. which I ended up, he got me a job uh, running on actually, which was very cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so David and I immediately hit it off day one, it's in his autobiography, and that's what he's talking about. Uh, I don't subscribe to his analysis. I think he's the funniest man I've ever met, him and Simon Pegg. But, um, yeah, but he hasn't met himself. He's met you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But no, but he, he... I've met you both. I'd say you edge him. No, not at all. I, I would say genuinely that, um, you know, David's an extraordinary person. And actually, I think we have a similar in that we're both quite hard to place. So his talent, even at Bristol, was hard to place. Someone like Simon Pegg. As soon as you meet Simon Pegg, you can just see him in a sitcom. Yeah. He's instantly funny, really yeah. beguilingly funny, very friendly and very, very easy ca going character. David, quite unusual, could be quite fractious, could be quite serious, was difficult to work with, mm. was a, a real perfectionist. And I'm a bit sloppy in the way that I work. I do find it hard to focus and get stuff done. And I have all kinds of systems. I do now. Back then, I didn't have those systems. I haven't learned what it takes to be successful. 
Right. And whereas David knew already, he already he was already on that kind of success trajectory at, at university. It was extraordinary to watch. So we started doing a, a double act. We then uh, were invited to join a group called David David Icke and the Orphans of Jesus, which was <laughs> in in a room above a pub. No, no, it was it was actually in the it was in the it was in a restaurant in in Clifton uh, in Bristol every Wednesday or Thursday night. Dominic Diamond was a compare. Mivanwi Moore, who would go on to be yeah. the serious producer of Little Britain, yeah. is Mivanwi, the only gay in the village, yes. yeah. uh, namesake. Uh, she did a female stand-up act. Simon Pegg was on the bill, uh, a guy called Barney Power. And we, we were this comedy troupe. And we did this, I don't know, I mean, I'm guessing we did it for about a year. And then David and I, when we left Bristol, went to London, we did the comedy circuit, we did places like uh, the Comedy Store. Yeah. We did Up the Creek, which was a famous club famously rowdy i mean we've had bottles thrown at us when you when you do certain clubs and you're not funny they don't they don't politely not clap they, they impolitely <laughs> chuck stuff at you jace is the theme forming here right you've had eggs thrown at you yeah now you've had God, bottles yeah. <laughs> i'm a magnet for <laughs> what's next nappies yeah <laughs> no but so that yeah so that was very thought anyway important experience um in terms of the creative side of what i do that was important yes and it, and, it, and it actually those were the foundations you know, it's it's we. I've I've. I mean, you know, I've, I've spoken to lots of people from lots of walks of life, and the thing that has united them is that they're all human, and they've all had something extraordinary, remarkable, or, or or you know, a modicum of success around them. You know, but but with everyone, regardless of how old they are, there's been a foundation somewhere of something that has led them to that. Yeah. You know, in some people's cases, it's because they've been put on a pedestal by their parents that have given them this self belief, etc. You've had to fight against that, not from your parents, of course, who've all been supportive, but but. From your upbringing, from your environment, you've had to you've had to be the scrapper, haven't you? Yeah. You've had to fight to find where you sit. Yeah, I think the show that most people know me for, the show that really opened the doors to me, not just in terms of uh, sort of celebrity and and uh, you know the doing of other shows, was of course uh, the Gadget Show. Yeah, um, a show on Channel Five. If people watching aren't familiar, which I hosted uh, along with a bunch of other presenters for twelve years. Um, you were the lead anchor, though, Jace. To be fair, you know you're you're, you're always you're always very humble about this. <laughs> but the gadget show it had lots of other presenters. They were interchangeable. They swapped and changed, and some were there for a season, and some. You were the mainstay. You were the main guy. You were the person that people associated with the gadget show. It's the charisma bomb thing again, isn't it? <laughs> My charisma bomb plume was just a bit bigger, mate. <laughs> and but um, the uh, yeah, so that show galvanised me. In that before that, I'd sort of. I'd sort of jumped from lily pad to lily pad. So, I, I mean, I trained as a director, believe it or not, yeah. uh, with the BBC. I did two years at the BBC on a production training course. And I worked on all kinds of shows and did lots of cable stuff. I did loads uh, on a, a channel called Trouble, which really was the equivalent of Nickelodeon. Right. In fact, they were, they, they were the Nintendo to our Sega. Nice. And um, uh, in fact, I met Otis there, who you know was yeah. one of my co-presenters on the Gadget Show. Um, but Gadget Show was the one that gave me that kind of world stage. So we would do things like uh, we'd do a um, jet ski race around Manhattan chased by a helicopter. Uh, or we'd, we'd do an item on a private jet or we'd, we'd jump a, an ATV, you know, and we'd blow up a car. Yeah. You know, and we do those kinds of Top Gear-esque uh, items that were big money, big budget, big impact um, and just have an absolute ball, which is actually in your intro. When you talked about me being, you know, an adventurer, which is a very 
very um, grand description. That's what you mean. That, that's when we would get in helicopters that would, you know, I'd, I'd be hanging out of a helicopter in Iceland into a volcano to see if this, <laughs> this supposedly indestructible <laughs> phone case was indestructible. Yeah. My thanks to Jason Bradbury and indeed Anton Dubeck and James Haskell for being such great guests this week. We have a huge show waiting for you next week. You know the movie 1917? I think it won three Oscars. It was directed by Sam Mendes and won a load of other awards and accolades as well. Well, the lead character, the star of that show, that film, is George McKay. He joins me next week here on Driven alongside Boyzone's Ronan Keating and megastar presenter Timmy Mallet. And did you know, by the way, we have our own podcast. It goes out every Tuesday and it brings you extended interviews of the guests that you've heard here on the radio show. It's called the Driven Celebrities Podcast. The Driven Celebrities Podcast. And it's available wherever you get your podcasts. And we have a massive back catalogue of superstar names. So if you need a way to fill some time right now, do check out the Driven Celebrities Podcast. Thank you for your company this week. We'll be back, same time, same place. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.